Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Master Potter as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. If you refuse God, if you refuse to submit your life to God, oh, what judgment and woe is destined upon your life. But how foolish it is to fight with God. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, Hey, what are you making? Or to thy work, he has no hands. (laughs) Here's a bit of clay on the table, and it's spinning. The potter's getting ready to shape it. And so he begins to mold it, and the clay begins to move. It's, hey, what are you making out of me? You see, the clay has no power over its own destiny. It's in the hand of the potter what the clay is to be. And in the same token, we really have no power over our destiny. Our lives are as clay in the hand of God. He has a capacity to form of us whatever he wants. But woe unto the man who strives with his maker, who begins to challenge the work of God in his life. I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. Why are you doing that? You see, God has a purpose and a plan for you that you can only discover by yielding to God. The potter has in his mind that which he wants this bit of clay to become. The clay of itself is pretty worthless. It's so common. One of the most common elements in the earth today, clay. But the clay has the capacity for infinite value according to the ability of the potter. Now, if the potter is capable, he can take a worthless bit of clay and make it into something of great worth and great value. Now, who can deny the ability of God, the master potter, to take our lives, which are so common, and yet to make something uncommon of us, something of great value and worth, as he makes me a vessel that he might use for his purpose. So God has in mind that which he wants my life to be. I can only discover what God has in his mind by yielding my life to God. But he shows the folly of the the clay objecting to the potter or trying to direct the potter. Woe unto him that saith to his father, What have you begotten? Or to the woman, What have you brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker. Ask me of things to come. Concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. For I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness, talking of Cyrus. I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for a price or for a reward, saith the Lord of hosts. 
He's going to do it. Not for a price, not for a reward, not through bribery. But I've raised him up for that purpose. God formed him for that purpose. Now the Lord, in verse 11, challenges us to ask him concerning things to come. Command ye the work of my hands. Concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Now, this doesn't mean, as it has been interpreted by men today, that we have the power to command God to do things that we want done upon the earth. That through prayer we can command God to perform certain things. To consider God as a glorified Santa Claus in the sky is a wrong concept of God completely. And to think of prayer as an agency to get my will done is the wrong concept of prayer completely. The real purpose and thrust of prayer is to get God's will done. You see, if I use prayer to get my will done, then I would be governing the universe. I would be guiding and directing the affairs of my life and the lives of men around me. I would be in control. The clay would be determining its own destiny. That's not what it's all about. The real purpose of prayer is to get God's will done and to submit my life to God and to come into harmony with his purposes for me because his plans for me are far wiser than mine could ever be. His knowledge of the situation is far greater than mine. And it would be sheer folly for me to try to command God to do things as I see and as I think they ought to be done. I could botch up this whole world in 10 minutes <laughs> with that kind of prayer. Not to get my will done, to do the work of the Father. So God declares of Cyrus, I've raised him up. Thus saith the Lord that the labor of Egypt, the merchandise of Ethiopia and the Sabians, men of stature shall come over unto thee. They will be yours. They shall come after thee in chains. They shall come over and they shall fall down unto thee and they shall make supplication unto thee saying, surely God is in thee and there is none else. There is no God beside yours. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. They shall go into confusion together that are the makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. He shall not be ashamed nor confounded. World without end. God going to cast off Israel? Never. World without end. God is going to be dealing with them. The everlasting work of God and salvation of God to these people. You say, but I don't like the Jews. Well, that's tough. God does. <laughs> and God has promised to work with them. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Now there are some who use this particular scripture to support what is known as the gap theory. 
That is, that between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis, there does exist a gap of an indeterminate period of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, between that statement and the next, which declares, and the earth was without form and void, there are many Bible scholars who believe that there is an indeterminate period of time between those two verses. In that indefinite period of time, God created the angels, including Satan. And during that period of time, Satan rebelled against God and against the authority of God. So that in verse 1 of Genesis, you have the original creation declared in the beginning, God created bara, the heavens and the earth. They would translate verse 2, but the earth became wasted and desolate, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved or brooded over the face of the waters. Now, by seeing this indefinite period of time between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis, they can then rationalize all of the fossils that are dated back to several million years. It makes no difference because of this indefinite time period that they see existing between verse 1 and 2 of Genesis. And this is one of the verses that they use to prove this idea. There are many verses, this being one of them. As God declares concerning his creation of the earth, I created it not in vain, or I didn't create it without form and void. Now, for God to create something without form and void does seem to be inconsistent with the creation of God because God looked upon the days of his creation and he saw that it was good. And so for God to create something without form and void would be inconsistent with the nature of God's creation, which is good. And God saw all of the things that he created, and they were good. So when God created the earth, they believed that in the original creation that he created the earth to be inhabited, and that it was inhabited by what we would call prehistoric beings that Adam became the first of man after man in the present form. But it is quite possible that prior to Genesis and these recreative acts of God, that there were other beings that inhabited the earth in prehistoric times. And that as the result of perhaps Satan's fall. For they do theorize that it is possible that Satan actually was the ruler over the earth in this period of indefinite time between verse 1 and 2. As God, and we will get to it in Ezekiel, said concerning Satan, I have set thee in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was for thy covering, the onyx, the carbuckle, the uh, Sardis, and so forth. And thou was perfect in wisdom, perfect in all of thy ways until the day that iniquity was found in thee. And then he speaks of his being cast out and cast down and so forth. So 
This is one of the verses. God said, I didn't create the earth vain. I didn't create it without form. I created it to be inhabited. And, and thus the argument for the gap between verses 1 and 2 in Genesis. There are uh, Pember's Earth Earliest Ages is probably one of the best presentations of the gap theory. And he presents quite an argument in, in his book, Earth's Earliest Ages by Pember. There are others such as Dr. Morris in his book, The Genesis Record, which does not believe that a gap does exist between verse one and two of Genesis. He has difficulty determining when the angels were created and when Satan fell because it wasn't long after man was in the Garden of Eden that Satan in his fallen form came and tempted him. So if Morris's theory is correct that it all happened just 7,000 or 6,000 years ago and that within this short span of time everything was created and Satan has fallen and everything else, then there are difficulties with Morris's theories, even as there are difficulties with the gap theories. But uh, either one of them, in my mind, are credible. You say, but if we only created it 7,000 years ago, how do you explain all the fossils and all this kind of stuff that, you know, we've carbon dated? Well, there could be a mistake in carbon dating. Or how old was Adam when God created him? They that God created Adam and breathed his breath of life into Adam, how old was Adam? He must have been one day old. But if he was one day old, he had the skeletal form of an adult. He no doubt had teeth. And he had muscle coordination. So when God created Adam, he would have to create him as an adult which means that he would already have age-dating factors built in. You look at his teeth and you say, well, he's got the teeth of a 30-year-old. Or, you know, or, or there would be the age-dating factors that were built in. Though he was one day old, there were age-dating factors built in. God could very well have created the earth with age-dating factors built into the thing. All of the fossil, he could have just created them all just to confuse men. <laughs> How big is your God? If he created man with age-dating factors, then he could very well have created the earth with age-dating factors, the universe with age-dating factors. So we'll leave that for the more learned men to worry about. I have not spoken in secret and are in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare the things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their own graven image and pray to a God that cannot save. People are ignorant that do these things. Tell ye and bring them near. 
Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior, and there is none beside me. Now, the Bible is a revelation of God. Men may develop their concepts of God, but they're wrong. Because men, in developing his concept of God, makes a God after his own image, after his own likeness. He has an anthropomorphic concept of God. But God has declared himself. God has revealed himself. And the Bible is God's revelation. And here we have this glorious, awesome description of God as he declares himself to us. And he said, look unto me. For he said, I'm a savior. There's none like me. I'm a just God. Look unto me and be ye saved all of the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and it shall not return. God said, I have sworn this. The word's gone out. It's not going to return. It's going to happen. What? Every knee is going to bow, and every tongue shall swear. Now, Paul tells us in Philippians, Let this mind be also in you which was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God and thought it not something to be grasped to be equal with God, humbled himself or emptied himself and took on the form of a man and came in likeness as a servant and was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. God said, I have declared it. I swore by myself. Now, in Hebrews, it says, because God can't swear by any higher, he has to swear by himself. Now, he says, when a man takes an oath, he takes an oath by something greater. But when God takes an oath, God wants to declare a truth. He can't swear by anything greater, so he has to swear by himself. But in order that it might be confirmed by an oath that shall not be broken, God does swear by himself. And whenever you get this in the scripture, you know you're getting into something that is more positive than anything else in life or in the world. It shall be. It cannot be broken. It shall come to pass. The day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. But for many, that day will be too late for their own salvation. Tragically. They may curse him now. They may swear by his name now in a profane way. But the day will come when every knee shall bow. God said, I've sworn it. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come 
and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. Oh, what a shame for those who have spoken against Jesus Christ in that day. Heavy, heavy. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 45 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for the certainty of your word. We stand in awe before thee, O God, the creator of the heaven and the earth and everything that is in them, who have declared the former things and also have declared to us the things that shall yet come to pass. Lord, we bow our knee before thee tonight and we confess that thou alone art God there is none beside thee who is like thee O God great in majesty and in power and in glory truly Lord honor and dominion are yours praise and worship is to be given unto thee O God open our lips that we might praise thy name Open our hearts that we might, Lord, just worship Thee in spirit and in truth. And help us, O Lord, to yield ourselves unto Thee as unto the master potter, knowing that Your ways are best for us. And thus may we yield our lives to the touch of Your Spirit, that You might make of us that which You would have us to be, vessels, Lord, that are for Thy glory bringing praise and glory unto thy name. O Lord, thou art God, we worship thee. In Jesus' name, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Want to know how to gain wisdom from God? Then don't miss out on Wisdom for Today by Pastor Chuck Smith. 
Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson. Growing up, I had the wonderful privilege of spending every morning with my dad. And every morning, he would impart to me just a little bit of God's wisdom. Now, you can have that same opportunity if you pick up my father's devotional, Wisdom for Today. It's a 365-day trip through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And each day ends with a special prayer incorporating what you learn into your heart. That's wisdom for today. I pray that you have a wonderful journey with my Father. The gift of wisdom is priceless. Be sure to order Wisdom for Today by Pastor Chuck Smith as a gift for yourself or for a friend. Call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673. That's 1-800-272-9673. Or to read a sample, visit thewordfortoday.org.